righty. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It is so good to see you all again and to be standing here. No, really, it is so good to see you all again and to be standing here again. I'd like to take this um, moment to um, personally and more importantly publicly thank um, the individuals who stepped up and helped out while I was away. Um, many of those names you're probably already thinking. Um, Jeff Shulo filled in twice. He kind of bookend um, the first weekend and the last weekend. Um, then Diane Nichols, um, who's not here this morning, but I'm going to get with her again, um, gave a wonderful message um, kind of relating and sharing um, her personal relationship and how God has impacted her life. Um, that's something that we should all be willing to do. That's something we should all be prepared to do it on some level. Heard words from Pam Langley. Thank you very much, Pam. We heard words from Sue Moggett, so thanks to those people. Now, these past several weeks, I've had a chance to, to relax. I have a chance to reflect on um, several, several aspects uh, of my life and how I go about um, my business, how I go about things. I spent many hours with my nose in books. I do that all the time anyway. Um, I really enjoy um, reading. I enjoy learning. I enjoy um, discovering new things or, or rediscovering different things. Um, I spent many hours with a fly rod in my hand out on streams and out on lakes and not just fishing, but yes, catching, catching, right? Someone asked me if I use that time on the water to reflect or to ponder, if you will. That's a word we use around here, to ponder. Asked if I use that time to think or contemplate um, about things. But I said, you know, when I'm on the water, I'm really thinking about just where the fly is going to land next and, or maybe where to point the kayak next. I, I have this um, single-minded focus that I have. So no matter what I'm doing, so I, I focus on, on whatever it is I'm doing. My daughters are a little uh, concerned about that. Um, Bethy was out with me. Um, she wasn't fishing, but she was out on the river with me just hanging out. She had her waders on and was kind of, you know, doing her thing and... Um, I, w I was at this secret spot. I could tell you where it is, but then, you know, I don't. So we're fishing. I'm fishing. We just got there. I had just literally fished this section of the stream, and I was about to move forward. Bethy's sitting on a rock in the, in the water. She's got her waders on. And she says, um, her famous line, you know, the things she says to me all the time, dad, 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 right? And I'm like, okay, you know, what is it this time? I'm kind of, you know, trying to get this. So there's fish rising all over the place. I just haven't got to them yet. I'm sneaking up on them a little bit. Dad, 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 dad. There's a bear. There's a bear. Bear. There's a bear on the bridge. There's a bear on the bridge. I turned around and looked, and sure enough, man, there's a big old bear butt fog. It was a big bear. I lived in Alaska. I've seen bears. This is a big bear. And so it's up on the bridge, you know, going across the river. And here we are on the river. And uh, before I can really even turn around and decide whether or not I'm going to take that fly in, I'm going to take the fly in, all right? Bethy's at the top of the ridge already, right? She's like, okay, let's peace out. Throw, toss me the keys. I'm out of here. And then they said, you know, you're so focused on what you're doing. They said, I wonder how many bears have been around you uh, at different times. You know, how many, yeah, a bear could literally sneak up on you. So, but I think we have to have that single-minded focus in this. You know, we got to be able to concentrate on the thing that it's at hand. Um, sometimes it's about finding the next fish that's feeding or rising. Sometimes it's about that person um, sitting across your desk or sitting across the kitchen table or sitting next to you in the truck. But, um, and at times... And here's my point. Here's where I'm going to go with this uh, for the next good section of the summer. We have to have a single-minded focus and concentration directed at our Creator and our, and our Savior. 
I did that a lot while I was away, but I do that, I did it a lot while I was away because I do that a lot in my life. Now, I'm not saying I do it 24-7. I'm not saying I'm a saint. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. But I try to concentrate on God. I try to see God in different places. I try to see God on a trout stream. I try to see God in a sunrise. I try to see God in the rainstorm, even though I left the window open on my truck and the seat got all wet. I try to see God in every place that, that he is in our world because that's where he is. We say things like, you know, that, uh, that God isn't connecting with me or I'm not connecting with God. Well, are we taking time to really notice where he is and, and what he's doing? Because we often say we are followers of Christ or we are children of God. Followers of Christ, children of God. And those sentences and statements are probably completely true. We're followers of Christ and children of God. And we might put a little asterisk on it, right? Because when the rubber meets the road, um, is that who we really are? Are those just words we say, or is that who we really are? Is that what we really do? But then as I'm asking myself that question, you know, in, in working on this, um, I'm literally asking myself that out loud. I started to uh, kind of turn that gem of a question in my hand and let it reflect in different ways and let it, you know, come back at me and, and, and actually try to, to solve that riddle. Um, wonder out loud, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a child of God? We say it all the time, but do we put any skin on those words and any real meaning behind them? I've often posed questions like that in this very room and said, if I gave everybody a three by five card and said, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I'd get 120 different answers, right? None of them would be right or wrong. It's not like that, but we need to be focused. We need to be centered on what's going on here. We need to be, have some, some definitions on these words, some working definitions to find these terms right, about who, a, what a child of God is or what a follower of Christ is. So I was asking myself that. I said, all right, the first thing we got to do here is, because this is my first day back, first thing we got to do here is play my favorite game show and yours, who it is. So I asked myself, what would Lombardi say, right? By the, this is a gift, by the way. Nobody yelled Lombardi. I mean, I was like, well, I was like putting up a picture of Jesus. I mean, we recognize that one. No, no. What would Lombardi say about that, right? If I said, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Lombardi would say this. He'd say, you got to keep it simple, right? That's why Lombardi was such a great coach, right? That's why we call it the Lombardi Trophy, because this guy was brilliant. He, did a, he had a couple of things that he always did. Number one is he kept things simple, and number two was repetition, you know, they only had, Packers only had a handful of plays, five, six plays, but they ran them so well and they ran them so many times that they recognized everything, that repetition, keeping things simple. Because he understood, right? He understood just like we should understand with the gospel and with the Bible that things can get complicated very quickly if we don't keep it simple. We can forget, literally forget who we are. We can forget where we came from. We can forget what the goal is if we let it get all complicated, Right? we got to get back to the basics, right? Back to the basics, or we'll be completely lost. We still have a lot of, um, you know, we still have a lot of energy, misdirected energy. If we're, if we're not focused, we'll have, um, still have legitimate goals, but those goals might be misapplied. We'd still have time on our hands, but that time might be a little bit mismanaged if we're not focused in concentrating, keeping things simple and keeping things repetitive, Right? So go back to square one is an important thing to do. So um, like I said earlier, I like to read. And I was reading um, this book by a guy named Max Anders. 
It's called The Good Life. You might have this book on your shelf. Um, it's kind of hard to get now because he kind of wrote, I think he wrote it in the mid-early 90s. But in this book, he tells some funny stories. And I'm going to tell you one of them that, that he, re- I'm going to relate one of them that he told. He said, he points out that, that ducks, right? Ducks are known to attach themselves to the first thing that they see when they hatch, right? Normally, that process works out just fine because usually the first thing a duckling sees is its mother duck, right? So they attach to her, they follow her, they mimic her, act like her, which is perfectly fine because those are both ducks, right? Now, this process is known as imprinting. We're going to get back to that. Imprinting. The textbook of of imprinting is this. A rapid learning process, rapid learning process that takes place early in the life of a social animal and establishes a behavior pattern. You getting this? Establishes a behavior pattern as recognition of an attraction, and it says, an attraction to its own kind. But it doesn't stop there. It says, to its own kind or to a substitute. Right? So we can imprint on our own kind or we can imprint on a substitute, right? Those last words, substitute, that gives a lot of room for that imprinting process to, to go a little haywire a little bit like it did to the, on, in this duck that Anders was talking about. See, the first thing that this little duckling saw when it hatched, well, well let me just say this, it hatched under the close supervision of the family dog, right? So the first thing that duckling saw when it opened its eyes, when it came out, was the family lab, right? And so at that moment, an unbreakable bond was formed between that duck and that lab. Got a couple cute little pictures of actual footage of these, these two together. From that moment on, the duckling decided it was a lab. Followed the dog around, ran to the dog for protection, took their afternoon naps together, they slept together. When the little guy grew up, okay, admittedly, they said, it started acting a little bit more like a duck, but it always napped with the dog. It always went to the dog for protection, slept with the dog at night. When a car pulled into the driveway, you not only have a dog barking at the car, but there was a lot of quacking going on, a lot of flapping of the wings, and a lot of pecking at the tires because, as a duck would say, hey, man, that's what we dogs do, right? So needless to say, that duck had, that duck had some issues. Duck had what we would call an identity problem. Saw himself as a dog, acted like one, but that didn't change the undeniable fact that that was indeed a duck, right? Now, in that book that I talked about, Anders goes on to um, say that we all have the same kind of identity issue. And all of us suffer from a certain kind of maybe imprinting because we've all been raised, and this is what I was talking about over here a second ago, we've all been raised in varying degrees, but we've all been raised in a broken and sometimes flat-out messed-up world, right? And we start to relate to that. We start to imprint that, and we start to associate with that because we're surrounded by it. We're immersed in this world and its ideas, its concepts, the impressions that it gives us. And for some reason, we attach ourselves to that worldly, or what we might call worldly ideals, rather than attaching ourselves to the spiritual existence that we were created to thrive in. The existence of God lines out for us in his words that I say all the time, you know, that these words are going to change us to the people that he wants us to be so that we're imprinting and we're attaching and we're identifying ourselves with him rather than with this world. So now what I'm looking to accomplish this morning um, is sort of an introduction to a series that I'm, we're going to be exploring together for much of the remainder of the summer. Um, 
when I was in Nebraska, the um, senior pastor came off a sabbatical, and he was, on, he was gone for three months. So I was only gone for one month, so, you know, all right. He's gone for three months, and he gave us a sermon that I thought would have been like four sermons all at once. He said, I've been working on this the whole time, and we were like, so I don't want to give you the fire hose right now. I'm going to spread it out a little bit. But we got a lot of summer left to go. Yeah, there's a lot of summer left here. There's a lot of more fish to be caught and, you know, kind of waiting in line to bite the end of my line. But I digress. Sorry. You guys okay this morning? You guys so serious. All right. I'm in a good mood today. So I want to take some time as we move through the summer and sort of um, go back to the basics. I want to go back to the basics, if you will. And um, as I thought about that, I realized that oftentimes... Um, what we call maybe the basics of anything that you're talking about, the basics of anything need to be defined, need to be defined in a, in a concrete manner, a kind of concrete kind of way with language we can all agree on. Um, and then maybe take the next step and really sink our teeth into it. So then as we always do here, let's, let's define some terms. Let's define some terms. And, I, and I'm going to say them out loud. We're going to talk about these things. How would one go about defining identity? Webster's Dictionary says this. It comes short, but it says this. The distinguishing character or personality of an individual. That's what it says that your identity is. And that's all good and fine, but that's, that's not really good enough for this upcoming series. If you're taking notes here, and, and there's plenty of room on the back of that bulletin, and there's a pencil in the pew in front of you, I want your working definition of identity is this. It's, it's what you believe about yourself. Your identity is what you believe about yourself or who you believe you are. That duck defined or identified as a dog because that's who it believed it was. And so if that is our working definition or, or description this morning, I want to introduce the importance of what I want to introduce the importance of, of what we believe about ourselves. The importance about what we believe about ourselves. And I say introduce because I want to dig into this over the next several weeks. Because there's a progression here. You already see identity at the top. What we believe about ourselves, our identity, leads to our actions. Our identity, what we believe about ourselves, leads to our actions. Our actions collectively make up what we would call our behavior. Right? Clinical definitions here. You tracking so far? Tracking so far? Picking up what I'm putting down so far? Now your behavior, you might already know this, but our actions, our behaviors have consequences. And when we use the term consequences, sometimes we put a negative connotation with that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. You know, if I identify as uh, an all-star basketball player, that means I'm going to devote a lot of my life to making some shots and, more, and practicing and, and doing some shoot-arounds. If, if I identify myself as, as a world-class baseball player, that means I'm going to be in the batting cage. If, I'm a, if I identify as a golfer, I'm going to go out and practice. So those behaviors can have good consequences behind them as well. But it talks about, or it starts about what we believe about ourselves. So sometimes those consequences can have a negative effect. If I'm a student, 
and I identify as a C student or a D student, my actions are going to reflect that. My actions are going to say, well, since I'm a C student, I might as well not even bother. So it's finals week, but I'm going to go and watch Netflix. I'm going to go I'll watch some TikToks. I'm going to go do some other things, right? Which leads to our behavior. That's our behavior then. And that behavior, those actions would have consequences because now I'm going to go take a test and I'm not going to do very well on it. And that's where our reality comes in, right? Our consequences lead to reality. Let me pop that up there, Jennifer, our reality. And oftentimes we complain about our reality. We complain about reality. We complain about getting C's on that report card. But we fail to realize, what we fail to acknowledge and admit is that our reality becomes from that. Our tendencies, our actions, our behavior, all those consequences become our reality. But it all starts about, it starts up here. It starts about who do I identify that I am? How do I identify? So the result of all of that that we're talking about here, that becomes your mission statement. That becomes your purpose statement. Your identity statement, if you will. And there's no getting around this. This is your identity statement. You're gonna, I, this is going to be true for everybody. I live who I believe I am. That's how I live, by who I believe that I am. So this series is going to be about kind of two parts. We're going to break this down in different ways, and we're going we're to dump a gym bag full of old sweaty clothes out on the floor here. We're going to look at them. We're going to talk about it. So my questions come in two parts. Number one, who do you believe that you are? But not only that, who do you believe that you are, but who is determining that belief? Where is that belief coming from? Is it coming from the world? Is it coming from outside? Or is it coming from your God? Is it coming from your creator? And then the third part of that is what controls that thinking or that thought process of who you believe that you are? What controls that thinking? What controls that process? Internal, external, where from, right? Because God gives us, in no uncertain terms, our identity. He tells us who we are because of who he is. That's what we were singing about. Who we are because of who he is. He doesn't say go out and figure it out for yourself. He says, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give you the thing to imprint I'm going to give you the thing to identify with. And we read it. Allie read it earlier this morning from 2 Corinthians 5.14. The first part of it says, the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. And the verb tense in that sentence means the love from Christ. Not our love for Christ. We get that backwards, Right? We are who we are because of who he is, not because of who we are. The love of Christ controls us. Jesus has for us, you know, the, the love that Jesus has for us, that's what determines our identity in him. Not the other way around. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not our love for him, but his love for us. So then the question that we're going to be talking about, the question we're going to be answering, the question we're going to look directly in the face is who gets to define your identity? And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. The one who created you, 
The one who created you gets to identify or gets to define your identity. And at times, you know, there's no getting around this. We might feel as messed up as that duck was that was chasing cars and quacking and pecking at them, right? But we can rest assured in the words that God gives us, the promises that God gives us, the assurance that God gives us. He says this in Jeremiah, and we read this earlier too. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And he could all go on and say also, before he formed you and before he created you, he created your identity in him. Right? We look all over for our identity. We're trying to see, and it changes based on different things, right? 35 years old, is your identity still that you were a great quarterback in high school? Can't work like that, right? God says, put your identity in me because that's permanent. That's going to last. That's what's going to keep going. So I'm going to ask you, to please stay tuned into this series. Please stay tuned in our identity, who our identity is in Christ, and how that works and how it should change how we look at everything else. What we should be imprinting on, what we should put it, be putting our identity in. Would you please stand with me? So, Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for gathering us 